Dan Bongino. Aiming to stop free speech so the speaker can no longer speak is exclusively a far-left phenomenon. The Dan Bongino Show. I'm talking to moderates in the Democratic Party who are actually interested in what's going on, not blind lemmings walking off a cliff into an abyss of stupidity. Get ready to hear the truth about America. The rich did it. Yeah, the rich did it. They lent money to people who bought homes, and the people never paid the money back. Oh, wow, that sounds like a great business plan. On a show that's not immune to the facts with your host, Dan Bongino. All right, welcome to the Renegade Republican with Dan Bongino, producer Joe. How are you today? Great to be here, Dan. Oh, folks, you know I love you all. You're like my extended family. I, uh, this is not a sob story, but I am just a cesspool of sore chemicals right now. I am like dying. I'm serious. I had a so I, I you know, I got back into the Brazilian jiu jitsu. I'm obsessed with the grappling uh, stuff. And I got back into it and I did my first like live rolling session with a pretty tough dude um, on uh, what was it Saturday in the advanced class I went to for the first time. And man, I am dying. My joints hurt so bad right now. So uh, I feel mentally I'm alert. Body-wise, if I could do like a walking dead thing and decapitate myself from the head down and still function normally, I'd be okay. But other than that, I'm a total mess. And and by the way, uh, a quick shout out. Thank you to everybody who uh, bought my book. I really appreciate it. My book, the new book coming out in September, Protecting the President, was uh, you know like 100,000 on Amazon. I have like 8 million books for sale. Mm. And I uh, mentioned a book and thanks to everyone out bought it. It was down to like, I think like 3,000 or something at one point. Ooh. And it's, uh, it's for pre-order. So go to Amazon, pick it up. It's called Protecting the President by Dan Bongino. Me, of course, I appreciate it. Thanks a lot. Hey, um, a lot going on. You know, I had a little incident with um, Joy Reid this weekend. Mm. Joy Reid from MSNBC, she didn't tweet me back, but she sent something out. She tweeted something, folks, and it's just indicative of the problems we have with the far left. And I wanted to discuss this a bit because I think it's, you know, it's critical to show you what the left is really about. So Joy Reid, he has a show called AM Joy, which I'll be honest with you, I didn't even know was still on the air. Joy mm. Reid went after me when I had that incident with the news guy I told to go... Uh, blank himself yeah and you know joy's got a big uh you know uh, she has a big problem with me and so i figured all right well you know let's try to pay back the favor so she tweeted out this is unbelievable i'm reading her actual tweet from her account at am joy show she says rep scalise was shot by a white man with a violent background and saved by a black lesbian police officer and then she goes into his record accusing him of basically being like homophobic yeah folks this is sick i mean this is really sick stuff. Now, notice what Joy Reid does by pointing out the fact that the killer, notice what she focuses on here. See, when you're a person like Joy Reid, who's really, you know, not, you're not, you're, you're not into legitimate arguing. What you're doing is you're into propagandizing. And you're into making people look like fools when you are actually the fool yourself. She ignores the, the critical characteristic of the shooter in favor and identity politics narrative. And what that should tell you is Joy Reid doesn't want you to know the truth. Joy Reid wants you to know what Joy Reid's version of the truth is. So the Steve Scalise shooting, we all know to be a fact, is that the guy who shot them was clearly motivated by political uh, by his political ideology. He was a Bernie Sanders supporter. He had spoken out in the past against Republicans. He is he uh, he had some kind of a list in his pocket of other Republicans by name. He asked if they were 
Republicans. I mean, if you were a prosecutor, Joe, the evidence is overwhelming right now that this sick individual was clearly aiming for Republicans and was being propagandized by anti-Republican rhetoric. You know, we don't like people who are poor, people who are gay, whatever it may be. It's all nonsense. Now, instead of Joy Reid stating the obvious, because Joy Reid's just a liar. She just that's what she is. She's a propagandist who has taken a cheap shot at a guy who's in critical condition in the hospital because she simply can't restrain or control herself. She has to put out that a white guy shot a a congressman Scalise who was saved by a black lesbian police officer. Gee, Joe, that's funny. I thought, uh, you know, I thought it was just a heroic police officer who took down a killer who was shooting at a Republican congressman. I wasn't aware that before the whole thing happened, Steve Scalise was like, Wait, time out. Are you a black lesbian police officer? You know what? All right, I'll let you save me now because you happen to be a black lesbian police officer and this will advance the MSNBC agenda. Folks, is this insane? Is this woman crazy? You know what? This is how in absolutely looney tunes the left is. Uh. When I was an agent and a cop, I never once went on an assignment or out on foot patrol or out into a RMP, which, you know, a, a police car. You know, we call them radio motor patrols in New York. By the way, some guy complained. He's like, you, you say you're an agent a lot. But guys, listen, not everybody listens to the show has heard the whole. You know, there are people who listen who just found the show yesterday. Sure. I'm sorry. Yeah. Uh, my apologies. I really don't mean to camera at home, but some people don't know. When I, but when I in my prior line of work, I never once like went out on a lead advance overseas to Afghanistan with a bunch of other agents and said, oh, excuse me, uh, you in the back. Yes, uh, with the black skin. Are you a black lesbian agent? Okay, can you please check? That? I I want to know because what what are you talking about? Like, are you crazy? <laughs> but this is Joy Reid who doesn't work in the real world. Like Joy Reid's a propagandist who works for MSNBC who's allowed to spout off garbage on the thing because she's obs- on her network because she's obsessed with identity politics and not the real world. By the way. I'll be honest with you, I don't even think Joy Reid is bright enough to understand how she feeds into the far left narrative identity politics. I, I really don't. I think she's a lemming who just knows she's supposed to mention race and sexuality at every opportunity. I'm not kidding. That tweet was really lemming. Like I, I saw it and I said, are you shocking me, man? Are you kidding me? Uh, like, is she poking us, yeah. right? Like, yeah. is she just doing this to be controversial yeah. because nobody watches her pathetic show? Um you know, I said on Fox, I was, I mean, I said, I think my daughter's Instagram account has like, you know, better penetration into the into the social media ecosystem than Joy Reid does. I mean, she's just the woman's a joke. But there are people who enjoy this, folks, because this works for them. Remember, the narrative to them always matters. Not what happened. Not the fact that a radical left winger shot a Republican congressman because he was a Republican. None of that matters. The narrative to them is that a crazy white guy shot another white guy who was saved by a black lesbian police officer, which is insane. Remember what I told you, and I said this on Fox this weekend, and I can't hammer this home enough to you. The truth is the enemy of the far left. They have no interest in the truth. Stop asking them why. Why do you lie? Why do you? Because that's all they have is the lie. Folks, the left can't get you to vote for them. Their electoral results are awful. Since the decline of the party from the era of JFK, from a ask not what your country can do for you, what you can do for your country, to the party of today, which is Republicans hate black people, minorities, LGBT members, uh, puppies, kittens, and everyone else. They have they have not, the, the strategy has been an abject failure. 
Folks, that's a fact. Now, the left ignores facts, but I'm going to give you actual facts. The left has lost untold governorships, House of Representatives seats, United States Senate seats, local seats. They're losing now the courts. They lost the Supreme Court on the ideological side, even though it's not supposed to be ideological, but we all know it is. The election results have been terrible. The left is getting destroyed everywhere. That's just the facts, folks. They lost the presidency. They have gotten damaged everywhere outside the coast, everywhere. They basically have no power base left outside of New York, Illinois, and California. And, you know, you have a couple smaller, you know, Maryland and Massachusetts and places like that, but their power base is the coast. It's New York and California. Out that, the whole rest of the country, they're lost. Folks, they're lost because this strategy is failing. They have nothing else. But what's what's perplexing, Joe, is they will not exit the identity politics strategy. The identity politics strategy, make no mistake, is again, I have nothing to sell you. I'm a Democrat. I can't sell you higher taxes. Americans don't want it. We're not Europe. I can't sell you single-payer health care. Americans don't want it. We're not Europe. I can't sell you the public education system is wonderful. So it, you know, it, what do I do? The only thing I have left is to get you to believe that the other guy's worse. Henceforth, this attachment to identity politics. Everything has to be the narrative. And when I say identity politics, they give you the label. It's not the label that was real. In other words, in the Scalise shooting show, what were the real labels in this? Bernie Sanders supporter shoots Republican congressman, brave police officer fires back, saves the day. That's not that's the truth. Now, the identity politics narrative, which is false, not false that that this stuff didn't have false and that this had nothing to do with the motivation of anyone at all. The woman didn't save the day because she went, I am a lesbian here to save the day. Nothing to do with it. She did it because she was brave and she was a cop and that was her duty. Yep. But Joy wouldn't know that because she's not brave and she was never a cop and she doesn't understand duty. She doesn't get it. Honor. Coach, she doesn't get that, Joy Reid. Joy Reid lives by a different code, lies and propaganda. So in order to advance the narrative, they have to put you in a box. And the box they chose in the Scalise shooting is black, lesbian, white guy. Meanwhile, keep in mind, it had nothing to do with the shooting. The guy didn't shoot at Scalise because he was white. He shot at Scalise because he was a maniac and he believed Scalise hated him, wanted to steal his money because he'd been propagandized by far left rhetoric. The left will always get you to vote against the other guy, not for them, folks. That's all they have. They have nothing left. And and, and ladies and gentlemen, you know, I've said this to you before, and if if you'll allow me for a moment to repeat this. I know a lot of you, I get some emails and they're like, well, why are you giving them advice? To get, I've, you've gotten a few of these. They say, you know, let them stick to the stupid narrative. They're getting crushed everywhere. They're, they're losing power. I mean, they're, and you're right. They are. It's a failing strategy. So, it's, you know, the old Sun, was it Sun Tzu's and your enemies destroying himself? You know, don't get in the way. Was that, um, um, everybody quotes Sun Tzu. It's probably half of it isn't even Sun Tzu. Who knows? Sun. But when your enemies destroying themselves, don't get in the way. Like, let them do it, right? Folks, I, I don't buy that for this. Because I don't see how uh, one side of the country, you know, 40 to 50 percent of the people who declare themselves as some form of Democrat, how allowing them, I shouldn't say allowing them, how engaging in a strategy that, that makes the other side of the country evil, that people are evil and not ideas. I don't understand how that benefits in the long run at all. I don't, I don't see it. I just don't see it. I'm, I'm really I'm like begging the Democrats to wake up and start to fight on ideas and not people that well, ideas are good and bad. In this issue, Dan, it's not going to matter what you say, because you and your toady producer are misogynists. Yeah, of course. Well, that'll be next. I mean, I'm sure, sure. I'm, you know, J- Joy. 
I engaged with Joy before, and 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 I just I really yeah. dislike her. I think she's you know, and 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 she's she's going to be forever remembered for that ridiculous face she made on Bill Maher when Ann Coulter brought up the fact that Trump would be president. She's like, <laughs> like Scooby Doo. <laughs> Meanwhile, I mean, the woman's a joke. Yeah, but and you're right, Joe. I'm sure five minutes from now we'll get an email that yeah. we're misogynistic animals. It's this is all they have. They don't have anything. They can't engage on ideas. That's Keep in my mind, point. from a woman who attacked a guy in critical condition in a hospital, like, will you have some dignity? Sheesh, man. Let the guy recover first. All right. Hey, uh, today's show brought to you by our buddies at Freedom Fest. Hey, are you going to this? I'll be there. Uh, you know, I'd love to meet you all if you want to head out. To, it's July 19th to the 22nd, July 19th to the 22nd of this year, obviously, at the Paris Resort in Las Vegas. I'll see you out. There's going to be a ton of people out there. Larry Elder, Kennedy from uh, uh, from Fox News. The Freedom Fest mission is to bring together everyone who cares about liberty to spend the ultimate three days together, learning, sharing, networking, and more. The theme is Exploring New Frontiers. The keynote speaker is going to be Brett Leonard, the leading visionary in virtual reality and a futurist to discuss the philosophy and impact of the digital experience to our freedom. Plus, a special interview with the captain of Free Enterprise, William Shatner. Uh, folks, it's, they have a whole bunch of series. These are some of the titles of some of the libertarianism to the extreme. These are some of their series that they're going to have there. No more gun control. Uh, don't vote. It just encourages them. Is it a crime to discriminate? <laughs> Not in my book. This is the libertarian. This is some of the stuff they have. This is their their title. Free Texas, the state's right to secede. And they're going to celebrate the life and career of Steve Forbes. Major think tanks and freedom organizations, including Cato, Heritage, State Policy Network, Atlas Society, Reason, and Manhattan Institute will be there. Hey, check it out today, all right? Go to freedomfest.com. That's freedomfest.com. And I'm going to give you a promo code. CRTV100 for $100 off the regular registration rate. Go to freedomfest.com. Use promo code CRTV100. I'll see you there. 855-850-3733. I'll be walking around. I got a speech and then I'm doing a mock trial there too. So uh, join us there. All right. So again, uh, just to, to sum that up, you're, you're nothing more than a label to the far left, even in a situation like this, which is so tragic that we have a congressman who's, who's hanging on to life uh, by a thread, shot in the hip, almost bled out. And Joy Reid, again, wants to make sure that you know that you are nothing more than a label. You are not a human being. If you are a black lesbian police officer, you're not a police officer that matters. It's your sexual orientation uh, that matters first and the color of your skin. I mean, this is really a sad world they live in, but that's, you know, that that's just how it is. Mm. Uh, we had another uh, incident last night with a, a car. Yeah, running down people in London. Right. Uh, all the details aren't out yet, but it was in front of a mosque, which uh, this is, you know, I mean, London has had just a horrible, horrible couple of months and something's got to give with the, you know, I, I said to my wife last night, she said, how do you stop this? Folks, I, I said, the only way to do it is we have to stop being firemen and we have to start being arsonists. You know, I am a, a conservatarian at heart and I, I've spoken out before for our civil liberties without, you know, without without our civil liberties, nothing, you know, none of this stuff matters. But still, if we don't start developing both sources and surveillance networks, there's going to be no way to stop this. We're just putting out the fires afterwards. So when I get more details on this, I'll bring up... Uh, uh, more that you know, I'll, I'll talk about the story a little more. Hey, a couple other things I wanted to get to. So last week I discussed trade, and of course I always get um, a lot of feedback on the trade topic. But one of the emails I got, which was interesting, especially in light of a of a of a book that's out now, it's called Sellout: How Washington Gave Away America's Technological Soul. 
and one man's fight to bring it home. The book is basically about, and the gist of it is what I got in a couple emails last week too, when I talked about trade that, Hey, listen, that's great. You know how, how exports are the price we pay for imports and we should keep free and fair trade open. And we should keep our, our, uh, you know, our, in, our international trade traffic open. But what if it's a national security interest, you know, to us? In other words, do we, you know, do we sell away our strategic steel resources, oil mm. resources and things like that to other countries? You know, is, is this really smart long-term for our national security. And I, I want to just give you a little background on this first, because there's one other piece I want to discuss first about the trade thing to show you how trade's not as simple as we think it is. And then I'll get to the national security thing. So there was an article last week on our oil business. And this is one of those, our trade in oil. This is one of those topics that really gets people fired up. There was a TV host all the time who used to talk about, how, you know, we should never, we, how can we export our oil? This is crazy. We should keep it home to drive down the price of oil. And although I like the guy a lot, um, he was he was wrong. That's not how the oil market and the global market for oil works. And here's one of the things that they, they wanted to highlight in the piece. The United States is right now, we are the top natural gas producer in the world since 2009. I don't know if you know that, folks. Yeah, I did know that. Yeah, yeah, we are we are rocking and rolling with natural gas. We are we are the Saudi Arabia of natural gas. We've been producing the most natural gas in the world since 2009. Now, this a lot of this is due to hydraulic fracturing. And for those of you unaware, I did a when I did my externship in my MBA program, we did a couple uh, of field. Uh, you know, field work out there. We went out in the field and one of the companies we looked at, I'm not allowed to say which one because I think I signed a non-disclosure on that, but it was a company that engaged in hydraulic fracturing. They showed you how it works. They put these drills over underground and the drills can go sideways. And what they do is they split shale rock and it lets the natural gas seep out. They collect the natural gas. And this was a relatively uh, new technology that enabled us to access, you know, tight oil and natural Mm -hmm. gas that we couldn't access in the past with just plain vertical drilling. So hydraulic fracturing and technological developments have enabled the United States to develop its petrochemical resources. And we become a really big energy supplier for the entire world. It's important you remember. Now, we produce all this natural gas and we're starting to produce a ton of oil as well. Why are we still importing, as it says in the piece, 25% of our petroleum? 25% of our petroleum consumption is imported, a lot of it from Canada and Mexico. Now, you may say to yourself, well, if we're producing all this natural gas and all this oil, well, why are we still, one, we're exporting a lot of it of our own production and we're importing more? It doesn't make sense. And But this doesn't make sense if you think of it in simplistic terms. I'm not trying to insult anybody because it took, believe me, I had, a, even though I didn't, an externship, internship type thing, whatever you want to call it. I had to look this up myself to make sure it made sense to me before I got on the air. And I I talked about this before, but I'm going to bring it up again because it shows you how complicated international trade can be. Folks, our refining capability, in other words, we get oil products, it has to be refined. They don't just get oil from the ground, obviously, and stick it in a gas tank in your local Texaco station. And that's not what happens. It has to be refined into gasoline, into plastic products, whatever they want to do with the petrochemicals. Our refining capacity, this is critical you understand this, is built to handle heavy crude type oil because that's the oil we were getting when we were importing for years. So when we didn't have the capacity to produce as much oil as we did domestically, we had to import a lot of it, which obviously most of you know. The oil we were importing, Joe, was a specific type of oil called heavy crude. You get it? Yep. So if we were going to put gasoline in the pump at your local Texaco or Sunoco or whatever, it had to come from a refinery, and the refinery was outfitted to, per, to, uh, to process heavy crude, which we got from overseas. Mm-hmm. 
The problem we have now is a lot of the oil we find in the United States right now, which is perfectly viable to turn into gasoline as well, is just light, sweet crude. But our refineries don't have the capability to process that. They don't want it. So what happens when they don't want it? Those are less buyers. In other words, the supp- you know, supply and demand. If there's a lot of demand for a product, then the price is going to go up. If everybody wants a pet rock, the price for pet rock goes up. But not that many people in the United States refinery, in the, in the refinery infrastructure, wanted that type of oil because that's not the type of oil we produced. So what happened, Joe? In other places overseas that had the capacity to refine light, sweet crude, the domestic producers could get a better price. Mm-hmm. Again, in a simplistic world where you don't think about any of that, you say, well, why the heck are we exporting a lot of our oil? The answer is because they got a better price somewhere else. Hmm. Now, folks, that benefits you. That doesn't that benefits you and the company. One, it benefits you because if you work in the petrochemical industry, your company's doing better because they're getting a better price for the oil. And secondly, it reduces gas prices at the pump for you because these refining stations don't have to you know, take a billion dollar loan to re-outfit their entire refinery to process a type of oil that they don't want. Make sense, Joe? Yeah, this is a win-win. In other words, you, we would have to redo our entire refinery infrastructure to process our own oil. But what's the point? We're getting the heavy crude from overseas at about the same price, if not cheaper. So it doesn't make sense. Now, I bring that up. Because when you think of trade in simplistic terms, you're like, well, oil, strategic, we should keep it. Okay, great. We already have a strategic oil reserve in the country. But keep it for what? We don't have the, the, the capability to process it right now. We'll get a better price overseas, which results in lower prices at the pump for you and, and, better, uh, you know, and better business prospects for people working in the oil industry here. It's a win-win all around. But I get, you know, when you talk about trade, people's passions get excited and they hear things and simple talking points like, oh, you know, the oil, we have to keep the oil because it's, you know, it's, it's strategic. Mm-hmm. Okay. We have the oil. It's in the ground right now. If we need it, we can use it. Yeah. Does this make sense, Joe? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, well, the refinery get- is the hidden step that you, you don't hear yeah, about. Yeah. You know, exactly. General, that's a good general way to public frame. doesn't hear about. The refinery. Yes, that's a good way to frame. Glad you said that. The refineries are the hidden step. We could process our own oil and sell it all here and keep it all here. But I guess the question I'm asking you in the audience, I'm probing your minds here is why? Why would we do that? It doesn't make sense. Why would we spend all this money to pro- now, if if it was an existential threat, there was World War Z and the zombie apocalypse broke out. Mm-hmm. Of course, we would invest and 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 retrofit our refineries to process the oil we have here. Because let's say all the sea lanes were shut down, we could do that if we wanted to. But that's not a national security question, Joe. That's just the capital investment question. You get what I'm saying? Yeah. What I'm saying is, if national security was at risk, we could do that tomorrow. We could just retrofit our factories. The question I'm asking you is why it's not national security, because if it was, we would do it. That's the whole point. Like people say, oh, well, isn't exporting oil a national security question? No, because if it was, we wouldn't export oil. That's Mm. the point I'm trying. Now, the reason I bring up this story is uh, this book review I was reading this morning, which is about trade, and it poses two big national security questions. And here are they. Here's the number one is the resource depletion question, right? So this has come up a couple times in emails from a lot of really smart people. And I always appreciate uh, appreciate the email feedback, <clears throat> especially on shows based on trade, because I, I think people, sometimes they get it, but sometimes they misconstrue what I'm saying, which is fine. Um, 
The first is the resource depletion question. In other words, you know, if we have really sensitive materials, rare earth minerals, um, you know, say oil is a perfect example. Why would we send that out of the country to potentially people who could become our enemies later, whatever it may be? China, maybe a country in the Middle East you perceive as being on the brink of being a potential adversary to the United States. But folks, this is a question of comparative advantage versus absolute advantage. In other words, just because we... Uh, let me give a better example. The, the, one, of the, one of the parts of the book says, hey, listen, a lot of our sensitive battery capacity, Joe, advanced batteries that the military uses, mm-hmm. a lot of these batteries are now built overseas. And I didn't read... I'm, listen, let me be perfectly honest. I'm just going off the book review and I'm using a premise of the reviewer, so I don't want to be unfair to the author here. I'm just using it as a setup. I'm not in any way criticizing the book. I haven't read the book. and But the premise of it is I've heard in emails and other places. I want to just be clear on that. One of the premises uh, brought up in the review is the idea that sensitive battery technology is built overseas and how this could be potentially dangerous to us because if the you know they, they own all our battery capacity, as if one day that's going to shut down our military. But folks, that requires a fundamental misunderstanding of the concept of comparative advantage versus absolute advantage. And here's what I mean by this. Just because something is built overseas doesn't mean we can't do it here. It just means other people do it for us cheaper. Therefore, we've invested our money in other places. Comparative advantage, the example I I, I give all the time is, you know, if you work in, say, you know, a a supermarket and the manager in the supermarket, say he came up through the ranks, he can probably do every job in that supermarket better than you can. He's Mm -hmm. probably a pretty good butcher. He could probably stack the aisles better. He can probably do because he's done it all and he's done it for a long time, Joe. So if he can stack those aisles and, and be a butcher better than you can, well, why doesn't he do it? Well, the reason he doesn't do it is because it's cheaper for him to pay you to do it while he does a more value-added activity, which is manage the whole supermarket and make sure the place doesn't collapse. Does that make sense, Joe? Yeah, that's a good illustration, yeah. Yeah, in other words, just because someone can do something better than you doesn't mean he should. You know, I was being the example, there's a bagel store by my house where I used to live, and one of the managers in the bagel store was darn good at flipping bagels. But the point is, he had to be up front to manage the, you know, the guy on the grill, to manage the people at the cashier so they weren't stealing money. I remember the guy well. That's why he wasn't back there flipping bagels. It's not that he couldn't do it better. It's just that it didn't make sense for him. He could pay someone to do it even a little bit worse, and still the business was better off, Joe, because he was managing the whole flow. That's the point in the United States, ladies and gentlemen. It's not that we can't make batteries. It's not that we can't mine rare earth minerals. The point is... It's cheaper for us to have other people do it. And it's actually in our national security interest right now to have other people do it because we're saving our we're saving these resources. God forbid we needed them if there was some kind of international apocalypse. I know this sounds crazy, but it makes more sense for us to get wealthier and wealthier and wealthier, having other people do for us at a cheaper price. Yet what we could do for ourselves while we can serve resources here ourselves. And put them into other value-added activities. And the differences between comparative advantage, which I just described, the, the, the guy in the bagel store had a comparative advantage over just about everyone in the store. He could work the cash register quicker. He could flip the bagels quicker. He had a comparative advantage. But it was more beneficial to him for the business to supervise it than to do any one of those tasks. Now, absolute advantage would be if he had that skill and no one else had it. 
So in other words, the United States, we're, we, th- that's very rare, by the way, if ever. It would be like if the United States had a chemical sensitive to international security no one else in the world had. We would have an absolute advantage that in our case, you know, it you know, maybe better off or maybe the only option for us to produce it here. But there's a there's a miscalculation there. The cap- comparative advantage is really the only thing you need to worry about for this because we can do this stuff. It just doesn't make any sense. Now, on the resource depletion side, on, on the trade thing with the rare earth minerals and things mm-hmm. like that, folks, it's it <sighs> resource I mean, rare earth minerals. I say I shouldn't say things like that. I mean, oil and stuff, too. When you say like, well, gosh, we're shipping it out of the country. Folks, if there was a national world war, you know, an international world war tomorrow, I assure you, if we needed these assets, one, we would keep them. And secondly, the fact that we're buying rare earth minerals from China, even though we do have them here, they may have them in larger quantities, but we have them here. Do you real think about the argument you're making? We're getting our rare earth minerals from China, which is a national security problem because we don't have the capacity to get them here, even though we do, because that's not true. Why would the Chinese send us a strategically vital element if it was critical to their own national security? Folks, think about what you're saying. It's so dangerous to us to to import these rare earth minerals and not learn to produce them ourselves. It's so dangerous to us how? That our enemies are giving them to us? (laughs) Does that make sense? It doesn't make sense. The Chinese have figured out they can make money from us by selling it. And money is ultimately what leads to security. Financial security and military security allows you, the money allows you to invest in other things. Hmm. They're not going to send them to it. Resource depletion is nonsense. And, and not to mention there's twofold here. Number one, we get them cheaper if we buy them from China. And secondly, we get to keep ours in the ground. What a deal. If something ever happened, we have tons of oil in the ground and rare earths we haven't used because we're getting them from China. So at that resource depletion argument, I don't buy it. There's another argument here, though, this buying of... Uh, strategic resources in the United States. Like someone said to me, so again, just to recap, the first argument was, well, we're buying the sensitive stuff from overseas and isn't this dangerous? We don't have the capacity to produce it ourselves. No, we do have the capacity to produce it ourselves. We just don't because we get it cheaper from them. And what better deal than to take their stuff while not having to use our monopoly chips? Isn't that great? Mm-hmm. Um, secondly, the buying of strategic resources. Like, oh gosh, what the Chinese are buying up real estate and are buying up ports and all this other stuff. Okay, great, good. They're giving us their money. Folks, do you really think if World War Z were to break out tomorrow, that the, a Chinese guy with a title, say he's a, who, say he's a military guy who owns a strategic port, do you think a, a Chinese military officer with a, literally a piece of paper that says, I own this port in the middle of a world war, God forbid, with China, the U.S. government's going to go, oh, yeah, yeah, come on, take it, plant your ships over there? Folks, it's not logical. It's ridiculous. The reality is in a, in a free market, Ownership of land and strategic assets is just basically a piece of paper. Do you think we would allow the Chinese to come and dock uh, aircraft carriers in a, in, a, in, a, in a port in New York City in the middle of a world war? It doesn't make sense. I'm not saying this stuff shouldn't be monitored. And we shouldn't be very careful in trade. But again, the fact that resources, well, great, we're keeping ours and we're buying theirs. Terrific. But secondly, the buying of strategic resources, they're giving us their money for a paper, for a piece of paper that in a world war would be meaningless. So I, I don't buy that argument either. All right. One more uh, story I wanted to get to. But uh, if you haven't yet picked up your month's supply of emergency food, folks, I'm 
strongly encouraging you to do so. I'm big into preparedness. You can probably tell by the tone of today's show. Uh, My Patriot Supply is the company I rely on. They will give you a one month's emergency supply of food for just 99 bucks. It comes in a super slim plastic case. Slide it in your closet. It's 140 servings of food, breakfast, lunch, and dinner. Easy to prepare. You just need water. That's it to prepare the food. It lasts for 25 years. I'll be long dead. Hopefully you don't need it. But as I always say, better to have it, not need it than to need it, not have it. Preparedness goes a long way, all for 99 bucks. Here's the website, folks. Go pick it up today. It's preparewithdan.com. That's preparewithdan.com. Go pick up your month's supply of emergency food. I get a lot of emails on that. Uh, Some people ask me for the website, so I'll say it again. Preparewithdan.com. Pick up your month's supply of emergency food today. All right, one last story, which I thought was was really fascinating. My wife sent me a story about the in Business Insider. Remember the uh, universal basic income? Yes. Well, Andy Kessler has a great piece in the Wall Street Journal today, basically dismantling the idea. But Joe, just so you know, on the show, mm-hmm. how we don't make things up and we're not just total randos here. We bring it up because there's always an undercurrent of trial balloons that goes on with the left. They float stuff out primarily in blue states. I mean, I wrote in my second book about the the, the fight in blue states, how the reason we have to fight in largely democratic states, even if we're going to lose, is because a lot of trial balloons start there first. Joe knows. I mean, the whole transgender thing, a lot of that started in Maryland. Mm-hmm. Now, article in Business Insider, Hawaii's introducing a bill, Joe. All families are entitled to basic financial security. It is a, I told you, it is a, it's a basically a universal basic income bill. I mm-hmm. warned you that this was coming, this idea. Um, you're going to see more of this. This stuff is in the pipeline. The Democrats love this idea. But Kessler had a great line I wanted to bring up, you know, and I I think it's a terrible idea, just to be clear, the idea that the government should pay everybody a basic income, one that the costs would be just staggering. But here's he had a great, great piece in there. You know, throughout human history, there's been this idea that, oh, you know, technology is going to put people out of jobs. And Kessler brings up all the washing machine. What are Mm -hmm. people going to do now? They don't have to wash clothes by hand. Oh, my. All this stuff is ridiculous. Here's the reason he had a great line, which I encourage you to strongly commit to memory. He said, wake me up when we run out of problems to solve. In other words, folks, the minute we solve one problem, like, oh, we're going to have the internet and artificial intelligence and artificial intelligence is going to do a lot of services jobs like, you know, financial advisement. That's going to put financial advisors out of business. Okay. They'll move on to something else. They'll move on to whatever algorithms to, to, to determine if a cure for cancer works. Um, if once we find a cure for cancer, they'll find a way to fix Alzheimer's. Once they find a uh, fix for Alzheimer's, they'll find a way to make driverless cars more efficient so that they don't burn as much gas. Once they find a way to do that, they'll find a way to make cars hover so they don't have to rebuild roads. Once they find a way to make cars hover, they'll find the radar technology or LIDAR technology to make sure they don't crash into each other. Once they figure that out, they'll find a way to make the LIDAR more interconnected so that you know cars could talk to each other and we can share the cars that are hovercraft instead. Folks, we will never run out of problems. The ATM did not cost people jobs. It just shifted the jobs inside of the bank where people could help with loans rather than dish out money at the cash uh, at, at the cash window. It's nonsense. This idea of a universal basic income, the reason I bring this up, is premised on the entire idea that human beings are somehow magically, Joe, going to run out of things to do one day. We're all going to sit around. So the only way to make money is going to be to get it from the government. It's a ridiculous premise. It doesn't make sense. And uh, kudos to Kessler for writing. I'll put that piece in the show notes today at Conservative Review. And thanks again to everybody who bought my book. I really appreciate it. It means a lot to me. And I'll talk more about it as the uh, launch date becomes clear. But it's available for pre-order now on Amazon. 
I'll see you tomorrow. You just heard the Dan Bongino Show. Get more of Dan online anytime at conservativereview.com. You can also get Dan's podcasts on iTunes or SoundCloud. And follow Dan on Twitter 24-7 at DBongino.